0: real estate is not a lone ranger sport. It's one where you want people to be bringing you advice, whether it's legal advice, accounting advice, property management advice. The more people you have on your team, the stronger you are.
1: Before we get into today's episode, I want to offer you a free service and a free gift. Yes, a free gift. You're a loyal best ever listener. You deserve free gifts. And it's from our best ever partner, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. So are you a landlord or investor who's self-managing? Well, if you're self-managing, is that the best way to scale your business? And are you fulfilled by self-managing or would you rather be doing other stuff with your time? Like, I don't know, scaling your business, scaling your portfolio, making more money, bringing more rentals, rental income coming in because you're acquiring more properties. If you want to scale, if you're not getting fulfilled by self-managing, then here comes a free service, here comes a free gift. Linda Liberatory, you know her, episode 714. I interviewed her about her best ever advice. Talked to her about her company, which is the solution to your problem. Secure pay one, the landlord helper. They handle the phone calls, they handle the rent collections, they handle late payment reminders, they handle the lease violation notices. And the first 30 days free, mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Again, if you are self-managing and you're not fulfilled by self-managing and you agree that there's a better way to scale your business, scale your investments, then go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Take Linda and her team up on their generous offer of giving you a trial and a strategy session to see if it's right for you. My com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff. With us today, Drew Kiffin. How you doing, Drew? Doing great. How are you, Joe? I'm doing well, and nice to have you on the show. A little bit more about Drew. He is the Acquisition Specialist with Blink Equity. He began investing in 2014 with one single-family home, and since then, he's purchased four to 10 units and medium-sized multifamily properties, 30 to 60 units. His focus is on distressed properties and repositioning them to stable properties. Based in St. Paul, Minneapolis area. With that being said, Drew, you want to give the best of listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
0: Sure, absolutely. Thanks, Joe. That story's right. I began single-family investing in 2014, and that was just after a lot of people had gone through the downturn. I had a condo that I lived in myself and I moved out of it, but couldn't sell it, and so I was sort of forced into renting it, and that's when I stumbled into real estate investing started to understand the economics of it. And then once I had some more money and capital, began doing single families and like a lot of people, scaled up from there into larger properties. So I was doing it on the side until 2015. And then I stopped that job and I'm doing real estate full-time now.
1: Wow. Let's talk about this. You began investing in 2014. Was that the condo you couldn't sell and you're forced to rent? No, 2014 was the
0: first property that I bought for in, the purpose of it. Okay, The <laughs> condo it. was... Accidental.
1: 2011. All right. So you bought your first intentional rental property in 2014. Walk us through all the properties that you have purchased from then to now, because I want to get some specifics on your acquisitions. Sure. So that
0: first single family was purchased off HomePath, Fannie Mae's clearing house for, for closed-on properties. That was a kind of a standard 3-2 single family in a suburb. And that was just kind of wetting my feet in real estate. From there, I got a fourplex and almost all the rest of the properties was done with a partner, Mm -hmm. but the fourplex with a partner and then a six with a partner. And then we bought a triplex from a wholesaler, fixed it up and then finance it, sort of pulled cash out of it and use that cash to buy a 32 unit. And so that was really my jump into the bigger space. Mm -hmm. And that part of it was 2015. Mm -hmm. And then in 2015, I also moved from the twin cities which you mentioned at the beginning out here to Seattle where's where I live now and I bought a number of duplexes from a wholesaler blink equity which you mentioned in the beginning and then next to that we bought a 64 unit last November so that was again another group of investors then right now we're under contract to sell both our 4 and our 6 and 1031 that into 56 units which we have under contract right now
1: that is a lot of transactions in a short amount of time. Congratulations on that. What was your occupation prior to 2015? Out of
0: grad school, I was working in investment banking for a small sell-side company. So we helped owners of companies sell their companies. So I was very comfortable and used to valuing assets, whether they were companies or ultimately apartment buildings. Mm. When I took that skill set into a Fortune 500 company, I was helping them negotiate some of their joint venture agreements. So I was taking that same skill set into the corporate world, and I did that until 2015.
1: Why'd you leave? Well, basically,
0: it got too busy to raise a family, work full-time for a W-2 job, and grow a real estate portfolio. And I was just enjoying less working for someone else, and I had the opportunity to do this full-time, and so I did.
1: Is Blink Equity your company?
0: No, it's not. Blink Equity is the company of a friend of mine here in Seattle, and I work with him on the acquisition side for his deals. And then another company that I hold much of the real estate with is with another colleague of mine, a separate colleague of mine. That friend is based in Minnesota. So there's two organizations that I work with, Blink Equity, as well as the LLC that holds many of the properties in Minnesota.
1: Do you have a standard structure with partners you said the fourplex is sick but basically all the deals after the single family home path loan in 2014. do you have a standard structure you use with investors or with business partners?
0: I guess I would say my standard structure is not to make it too complicated. We use an LLC and I work with people that I trust immensely. So as far as best advice goes, one of the things that I'd say is I see people get paralyzed on moving forward because they get caught up on how to structure their organization, how to get themselves legally or from an accounting perspective set up. And that brings them to inaction. And I would say that's the biggest inhibitor of people moving forward is getting caught up on these things. So there might be an ideal or perfect structure that I haven't uncovered yet, but I try not to let perfect be the enemy of the good. And so I move forward with people that I trust doing this kind of split 50-50 or one-third, one-third, one-third or structures. And we haven't had a problem with that so far.
1: On the split 50-50 example, and perhaps if you could use a specific property just to add some clarity, what would be your responsibilities versus your partner's responsibilities? Great question.
0: On the sixplex that we're selling right now, I would say, first of all, he's there near the property in Minnesota and I'm in Seattle, so there's a location difference. There's also sort of like a skill set difference. He is extraordinarily good on the details. So he's reviewing our property manager's financials regularly and often uncovers things that might look not correct. So he's kind of got the operational side covered. And meanwhile, I'm a little bit more on the sort of acquisition side, looking for more deals, thinking more strategically. Not that he's not looking strategically, but I think that our skill sets are more on the day-to-day side, the, the oversight of the actual asset versus sort of looking big picture, where are we going next? And that plays to our strengths as far as kind of what our natural tendencies are. And it's also helped the partnership work well because we sort of understand, hey, he does this well, I do that well. I respect him doing that and and making decisions for us there and vice versa.
1: So just to grossly simplify, because I know you like simple structures, you identify the acquisition once it's acquired, then he does the asset management, basically? I think that's fair, yep. Okay. Who brings the money?
0: We do 50-50 together. Okay. Yeah. We both bring the money to the table.
1: Okay. Got it. That makes sense. And are you both on the loans?
0: Yes, we are. Of course, in the beginning, when you're doing residential one to four units, the financing was based on our personal debt to income. And once you get to commercial, it looks differently. But our loans are a recourse. So the bank could ultimately come at us personally for the assets. And we're both signed on to those loans. Yeah.
1: What type of lenders do you use? One of
0: my worst experiences in real estate was trying to get Wells Fargo to finance <laughs> my four unit. It was just extraordinarily painful. And since then we've used local bankers that are regional to the twin cities where we've literally gone out for drinks or lunch with our banker who knows us, who comes and visits the asset. And it's extraordinary the feeling of partnership that there is there and mm-hmm. it's extraordinary how different it was from working in our experience with the institutional bank. So We like the regional bank, the one where there's a relationship where the guy responds to your emails quickly. It's just been a huge difference to work with local banks.
1: And what about your duplexes in Seattle?
0: That's another regional bank. That one is a fantastic deal. I bought it wholesale and then I could turn around to the bank and get an 80 or 75% loan to appraised value. And since they were going off appraised value, not purchase value, I was able to get usually all of my cash or more than all of my cash back. But again, that was a regional bank based right out here in Seattle.
1: Looking at my notes, as you know, I was writing notes as you were talking earlier about your timeline of acquisitions. It looks like the triplex from the wholesaler where you fixed it up, financed, did a cash out refi, and then bought a 32 unit. That was the big jump from where you were. So can we talk a little bit about that triplex? What are the numbers and how did you get in contact with a wholesaler in the first place?
0: Great question. I don't remember how we got in contact with the wholesaler. I think basically we were just hustling, looking to meet people, looking to kind of get an edge on getting deals upstream of the MLS and where everyone else is getting deals. And we came across this wholesaler. He offered us this deal. The key thing for that transaction was that we were going in it one-third, one-third, one-third. So there's three of us. But one of the guys is a, a full-time property manager. So he owns his own property management business. And he gave us the confidence to say, hey, we can buy this for, I think it was $88,000, put about $25,000 into it, get it appraised around one hundred and seventy. dollars put a debt on it, take all our cash out. And especially at that point in time, doing that on my own would have been too scary. Yep. But going with someone that I trusted, who I knew, knew the market, enabled us to go forward. And ultimately that transaction gave us basically the cash of the down payment to leap into the larger multifamily of 32 units.
1: Absolutely. And was the 32 units in the same market as the Triplex?
0: Yeah. The 32 is in St. Paul and the, the Triplex is in Minneapolis. So they're different zip codes, but the same metropolitan area. Yes.
1: Okay. And can you tell us numbers on the 32 unit?
0: 32 unit was purchased for $1.6 So it's $50,000 a door. There was a lot of distress on it. It was a property that the prior owner milked it for cash and didn't put money back into it. But that was fine with us. We knew that going into it. We've owned it for, I would say, 15 to 18 months now. And I think we have not taken a cash distribution out of it other than we got to refinance a new appraisal. We've been pouring cash back into it and turning over the units. We have a thankful and appreciative and somewhat loyal tenant base. And I would roughly guess that it's worth 1.8 to 1.9 now. So we try to be patient capital. We're not looking for flipping a property in and out in 12 months, but that gets to our long-term strategy, which is buying distressed and repositioning to stable and then being able to re-improve NOI as well as cap rates as you make that transition from distressed to stable.
1: Yeah. Let's stay with this 32 unit. It's a fascinating story. You bought it for 1.6. I think I heard you say that you haven't taken cash distributions except when you did a refi with a new appraisal. And what did it appraise for? I should have the numbers in front of you. That's fine. Yeah. uh, I think it was 1.8, Joe. Okay. Roughly. Got it. No biggie. No biggie. Just curious. So the cash that you got from the refinance on the previous property certainly wasn't covering the down payment for this 1.6 in the total. So did you all Annie up again and do a third, a third, a third? Right. The down
0: payment on the $1.6 million 32plex, 10% of that or half of the down payment came from the cash out refi of the triplex and the other half of the down payment, we split one third, one third, one third. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah, but- so essentially what that allowed us to do is, let's see, over 3% of the purchase price from a cash perspective, I was buying into a 32 unit building. Mm-hmm.
1: And if it was distressed, then tell us about getting financing for it. I'm sure that was an ordeal.
0: It was distressed physically, but it wasn't a lot of vacancy. Oh, okay. And so it depends on whether it's physical or, or economic right. distress, but this is more physical distress. And again, us getting financing on this was also due to this one of our partners who had a deep, long relationship with a local banker. And that local banker had seen him perform on previous transactions where there was distress. So we were able to basically borrow from his experience and history with the lender and able to get that financing. I think if we tried to do it on our own, where our only history was single families and a triplex or quad, it would have been difficult to impossible. But with a partner, it was a different story. Mm-hmm.
1: The property management partner in particular is the one you're referring to? Yes. Okay.
0: He brought the history, he also brought... Confidence that was going to be managed in good hands.
1: Yeah, that's huge. As the banker proved. <laughs> exactly. I know that we all have roles in our business. And if yours isn't doing the asset management, then feel free to say, hey, Joe, let's shift gears a little bit. But I do have one more follow-up question on the 32 unit. And that is, what specific steps were taken to bring a property from physical distress, so the mechanicals and perhaps the landscaping and just the outward appearance was very tired or in disarray. What specific things did you all tackle first and how'd you go about it?
0: As tenants vacated, we would turn a unit and rehab it. So we did go from inside out as far as we went from actual units to common spaces to exterior So when units turned, we would either give them a light rehab or a heavy rehab, depending upon how worn out they were. New carpeting in common areas, new paint in common areas. And eventually on the exterior, we resurfaced the parking lot. We rehabilitated some of the parking structures, the garages. And then there is going to be some landscaping on the outside as well. Mm -hmm. We've had to do some exterior roofing. So I've heard people talk about going outside in because if someone sees a property from the outside first, But we did inside out in this transaction.
1: And you had some mind reading abilities right there because that's exactly what I was going to ask you. What was the reason why you did inside out versus outside in?
0: I don't know whether it was extraordinarily well thought through. And I think I'd have to talk to my teacher (laughs) about whether we do it the other way next time. I think it was merely that we were looking at some units that were quite distressed and they weren't. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you could have extraordinary landscaping, a beautiful parking lot and a brand new roof. But if the unit's trash, people aren't going to live in there. And it it probably, if you flip that around, people might still live in there. You could argue it both ways. Yeah. We just had to get these units kind of up to par. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Our handyman was there almost full time for about a half a year, rehabbing units and working on the common spaces. And the tenants got to know him by name, and they expressed often their appreciation of the work he was doing to make it a better place to live. So... But that was validating that what we were doing was increasing quality of life and probably tenant loyalty and longevity of tenants, which of course can be costly too to turn over units if they're cycling through every 12 months.
1: Oh, absolutely. If you have some retention and some loyalty with your residents, holy cow, that will affect your bottom line exponentially. Yep. What is your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: To move forward. That's my advice. I thought a lot about this, but I've seen people email me or ask me questions or friends that are interested. And you can tell that they're intrigued, but they don't take action. And so they don't take action because they're either caught up, as I said before, on some arcane legal rule that their attorney should be solving for them, <laughs> Or they're they're caught up on finding financing. And there's answers to that as far as how to get banks to bring money to the table. Or it's just not the right time, maybe in 12 months. Or they find good deals, but they want unbelievable deals. And what I've found is that I get progressively better at analyzing deals and I get more confidence the more that I do one transaction at a time or as I speak to my property managers every week and learn more about the property. But if I waited for the perfect deal to come along, I would never have gotten started. So I just say, get going. And the thing about real estate is that the wind is at your back. It's an industry where it's forgiving as long as you follow general guidelines. And so you can go ahead, take that first step, make that first transaction, not know everything, and it should still come out okay. And from there, you'll build confidence and you'll build relationships with property managers, with brokers that will help you make the second deal and third deal easier.
1: What would you say to someone who doesn't want to partner with people? Well,
0: I'd probably what first I would say is reconsider. But if they were insistent upon that and there are good reasons to be cautious about partnering, then still find people, they don't have to be formal mentors, but people who you trust and you can say, hey, can I take you out for lunch and show you this thing I'm looking at and you can give me your input on that. And getting someone who has experience with their input, as long as you trust that they're being candid and have your best interests at heart, is extraordinarily helpful, very, very cheap as far as avoiding you from making bad mistakes. I guess my advice is real estate is not a lone ranger sport. It's one where you want people to be bringing you advice, whether it's legal advice, accounting advice, property management advice, The more people you have on your team, the stronger you are. And so whether you're formally partnering in the ownership of the asset or just getting input from others that provide different disciplines, the more advice you have, the better off you are.
1: And I mentioned that obviously because of your background and the partnerships that you've participated in and that have gotten you to this place where you've grown tremendously in a very short amount of time. What's one way that you personally qualify potential new partners? Well, I don't
0: take anyone just out of an email as a partner. Of all my partnerships, they've all been based off knowing someone on a relational basis for a while. I might have met them at the local RIA, but for me, all of my partnerships are rooted in deep trust. So if someone just emailed me and said, hey, I got a great deal in St. Louis, I might 100% believe that's a great deal in St. Louis and I might pay them a wholesaling fee if I wanted to enter it but I wouldn't partner with someone that I don't know deeply. So that's my sort of threshold or test for partnerships.
1: You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's go. All right, let's go first. A quick word from our best ever partners. Are you an investor who self-manages, talks to your residents, collects checks, and handles all the day-to-day tasks Well, there's a better way, best ever listener. And guess what? That better way is Secure Pay One. Secure Pay One, the landlord helper will have conversations over the phone with your residents whenever there's an issue and the residents can pay you directly. So schedule your free trial and 30 minute session today at mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Tired of the noise in the real estate investing space, but still want to light your business on fire? Real Estate Deal Talk is an original source of radio shows, podcasts, case studies, and articles devoted to real estate investing. For investors, by investors. Discover more at realestatedealtalk.com. That's realestatedealtalk.com. Best ever book you've read?
0: Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. That just got me going, got me fired up for the whole industry
1: best ever deal you've done?
0: The sixth unit that we're about to sell, bought it distressed and basically bought it for 250, selling it for 450 in two years. And with leverage, it's more than a doubling of our money. It's been fantastic.
1: Wow, congratulations. You bought it for 250, how much you put into it? Not much, maybe $10,000, $20,000.
0: It wasn't like a huge project, it was more maintenance and, and the putting money into it came from the operational cash flows of it. So it wasn't additional money from our pockets.
1: What's a mistake you've made on a transaction?
0: Not staying on top of property managers and making sure that they're managing the property well. So one skill set that you develop in real estate is managing your managers. You can't go to sleep and let them do all the work for you. You still have to oversee it. So I think a healthy, regular phone call with them to build trust and understand what's going on helps them know you and take care of you better and helps you build confidence with them. So staying asleep and not paying attention would be a big mistake
1: best ever way you like to give back?
0: I hope this sounds sincere, but I love to provide quality housing that looks after my tenants well in my investing. So I wouldn't manage a property that I wouldn't put my brother or my sister or my friends in. So that's not giving back like serving a soup kitchen, but I I truly think that there's a lot of terrible landlords out there that don't care about the quality of life of their tenants. And I do take that seriously. And sometimes I'll do things that may not at first blush make economic sense, but I do it because I want to be proud of the way that we provide housing for people.
1: Where can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? They can email me.
0: I can provide that email right now, Joe, right off sure. the internet. Yeah, of course. So it's just first name, dot last name at gmail.com. So it's Andrew, A-N-D-R-E-W. And then Niffin, that's K-N-I-F-F-I-N at gmail. And I love talking to people about their real estate journey.
1: And Andrew, do you go by Drew or Andrew? I've gone by both.
0: Okay. Mostly by, mostly by Drew, but the email is Andrew, so.
1: Oh, okay, cool. And I apologize for butchering your last name's pronunciation whenever I introduced you. And thank you for not calling me out. <laughs> You're Are very... you seamless. What's your name? I can't. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're very patient with me. You may call me whatever you wish. <laughs> well, Drew, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for sharing the trajectory that you've had with investing from the single family home path loan. Yep to the fourplex, to the sixplex, but then the triplex that you fixed up and refinanced, used the proceeds from that, plus your own money and two partners' money to buy the 32 unit, and then bought some duplexes, then a 64 unit, holy cow. And then just one last thing, Joe, is the 56 units that we have under contract, we're not going to put a penny into buying that
0: because it's just the gains on the 1031s from a four and a six. So the, the business really snowballs. Once
1: you get going, you just got to get going. Yeah, and having intelligent choices along the way has served you well. One of them I've noticed is partnering so together you can do more. But then two is finding the right partners who complement your skill sets and bring other skill sets to the table, like, as you mentioned a couple times, a property management partner who helped get some good financing and also see the on the ground management in certain cases. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Joe. Tired of the noise in the real estate investing space, but still want to light your business on fire? Real Estate Deal Talk is an original source of radio shows, podcasts, case studies, and articles devoted to real estate investing for investors by investors. Discover more at realestatedealtalk.com. That's realestatedealtalk.com.